4: Hi, I'm Vanessa Bayer, and this is my brother, Jonah.
5: We're two siblings who love to talk about our childhood and nostalgia and how it shaped us into the people we are today.
4: Who are pretty intuitive, if I do say so myself. Welcome to How Did We Get Weird. Jonah, this is the podcast we've been waiting for. This
5: podcast is 30 years in the making. We've been talking about trying to make something like this happen. I can't believe it's actually happening.
4: Yeah, I would almost go so far as to say like 40 years. I mean, this is really an exciting day.
5: Today, our guest, we always heard growing up, we we're related to this person. And I don't even know how to intro this. What do you think, Vanessa?
4: Okay, I know we're at a little bit of a loss for words. So when we were growing up, Jonah was obviously very into like rock music and metal and stuff. And a show that we would watch all the time would be Headbangers Ball. And our great aunt, Masha, our grandmother's sister, would always kind of tell us that we were related to the host of Headbangers Ball, Ricky Rackman. And we were always like, is that true? Is that not true? It was sort of like a rumor in our family. And we couldn't quite figure out if it was true or not.
5: I remember our grandma kind of saying things like, our grandma was not a fan of. Ricky's Tattoos. That's right. I was not a fan of tattoos in general.
4: That's right. That's right.
5: She's not a fan of that. I remember her saying Ricky had a sister who was very successful. <laughs> right. Those are really the two things I remember. Like, oh, he has all these tattoos. His sister is very successful. That's all we knew. And I was like, is this? Couldn't really get more info. And our dad would also make up a lot of things when we were growing up. So I wasn't sure if it was like an embellishment, like maybe someone met him once or like, I don't know.
4: You know, it was before like really the internet, like you, you couldn't really figure that stuff out. I mean, again, we could have asked a little more, but like when you're a kid, you don't like you just hear stuff and you're kind of like, is this? Is true? Is it not true?
5: But we would watch Hebringer's Ball, you know, we'd stay up late. You know, I remember like you know, watching Iron Maiden videos, like Wasting Love, all these videos that were, you know, corrosion conformity, all these bands I was like so into. And, you know, when I was like a teenager and just being like blown away. I mean, there's so many questions we have for Ricky. <laughs> but yeah, so basically fast forward to like last year. I don't know why. After like 30 years, Vanessa texted me. And she's like, yeah, I just sent him a message on Instagram. Asking if we're related and he, we figured it out. I was like, oh, I didn't think this was like accessible. I don't know why we never thought about doing it We
4: never thought. In fact, Jonah, you said that you tweeted at Ricky earlier than that. I
5: tweeted at Ricky years ago and he responded to me. It was about the Allison Chains Action Park episode. And he wrote me back and was like, yeah, that was like our most popular episode or something because I had just been watching clips of it because that's what I do. I watch all this kind of stuff online now. So, yeah. I don't know why we never did this five years ago or 10 years ago. You
4: got a response. You knew he was a nice, accessible person, but you didn't think to ask him. So, And neither did I, by the way, until, yeah, like last year I asked. And and it turns out that we are related. And so I think, Jonah, we should introduce this incredible guest that, again, we are just over the moon to have. Our guest today is an American television and radio personality. He's best known for his association with the late 80s and early to mid-1990s hard rock and heavy metal scene MTV's Headbangers Ball from 1990 to 1995. He was the owner of the Hollywood based nightclub, The Cat House. And according to Wikipedia, he has been listed by Tattoo International as the first heavily tattooed TV personality. Please welcome our cousin, Ricky Rackman.
6: (laughs) The funny thing is, like, I got a message on social media. From you, Vanessa.
4: Yeah.
6: And it said, you know, hi, I think we're cousins. Okay. I get crazy stuff. You would be, I mean, I've gotten, oh, I bet. I've gotten stuff like, I think we're married, you know, there were, I mean, weird things. But I look and, you know, you have that little blue check next to you. And I'm like, that's Vanessa that's on SNL. And I told my wife and I'm like, this is the craziest thing. <laughs> like, this is the craziest thing. Like, there's no way. Like, you don't usually get like famous people. <laughs> writing you saying you're related. So I looked at your social media, I looked at Jonah's, I'm like, that's weird. I mean, and and Joan and I, we we all listen to the same music and there's sort of similarities, but I'm like, there is no way. So you started telling me some of these names, and then I asked my mom, and I'm like, look, mom, you know, Vanessa Bear wrote me and and she says that we're cousins and she's this, and and my mom's like, oh yeah, yeah. And she started mentioning the same names you did. And I I really thought that this was like not true. And then it found out that it is true. And I told my sister, and she didn't know. And I just think it's the coolest thing. And I didn't want to like start telling everybody about my my two cool cousins because I wanted to wait till we finally did this podcast. But I just thought that it was the coolest thing. And it turns out that, like, you know, Joan and I liked a lot of the same punk rock bands. Of course, I'm much younger than you guys. (laughs) It's just so cool. I just thought it was just the coolest thing. And that I'm the tattoo. Guy and my sister's a successful one.
5: (laughs) So that is true. Your sister is successful.
6: My sister is really cool. She lives in New Zealand. Wow. She does music supervision for films. Oh, wow. But she was like the best. Like she did Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs. Wow. Next time you watch Pulp Fiction, Karen Rackman is one of the first names that comes up. Like, so when it came to putting music in films, she was like the rock star of doing that. She worked with Warren Beatty, putting the soundtrack together for Bulwark. But mostly it was Quentin's movies that she did. And she was very, very successful for doing that. And she still does it to an extent like she was the one. And it was, you know, we take turns being, oh, you're Karen Rackman's brother. Oh, you're Ricky Rackman's sister. So it takes turns. But the great thing is it says that she's my older sister and she's not. But I wouldn't bother changing that part.
4: is incredible. That's, That's incredible. our other cousin.
6: Yes. And
5: Vanessa and I have that dynamic. I feel like sometimes you're my Jonah's sister sometimes.
4: We do. It was always funny at SNL because when we were younger I was always known as Jonah's sister because I'm two years younger. But then once I got on SNL, a lot of people would call Jonah Vanessa's brother. But then when I was at SNL and Jonah would come to the shows, all the bands and everyone would know me as Jonah's sister because they all knew Jonah. So it right. was like, <laughs> we, we get that too.
6: It's funny. But the fact that we're really- Related. it's just so cool it's also interesting that even though the three of us we do different things but there's still some sort of similarity in what we do and i wasn't geared that way towards my parents and it's just odd that if you think about traits or dna that certain people you know even though i wasn't really extremely close with my father growing up, you know, I find out that he had this big love for motorcycles and he would take pictures in racing, which is what I also work in. And it's just interesting that we are somehow related and yet we all still got into the same fields, even though we didn't have the same relatives helping us steer into a certain direction. You know what I mean? Yeah.
5: Yeah, absolutely. And one thing you might not know, Ricky, is that I actually almost invited you to my bar mitzvah. (laughs) Which would have been probably like 1992 or something. I remember talking to my dad about it and being like, I want to invite Ricky. And he was like, You can invite him. Like maybe he wants to like reconnect with his family. Like I'm sure you were like on the Sunset Strip in 1993 (laughs) partying. Didn't want to go to like suburban Ohio to hang out with a bunch of 13 year olds you
6: didn't know. But the crazy thing is that all this time you guys knew we were related, but I never did. Yeah, like I never did until Vanessa contacted me recently. That's just what is so crazy about the whole thing, you know? Because for somebody to reach i say, you know, we're related. And you're like, yeah, okay. Yeah,
4: right, 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 right. You know,
6: it's just, it's so cool.
4: Well, it's also so crazy because the whole time you were on Headbangers Ball, but like around the time that Jonah would have invited you to his bar mitzvah, is like, you were exactly everything that Jonah thought was cool. His favorite band was Guns N' Roses. You know, one of the first concerts Jonah ever went to was Guns N' Roses with our mom. He got a bloody nose right before and like made sure to get the blood on his like jeans. So he would look cool. He like just wanted to be like part of that scene and was, you know, playing guitar and like all this stuff. And it's so crazy that he had this cousin who was like exactly living that life. Like, it's just it's actually very sweet. Yeah. You were just like everything that Jonah like aspired to be. It's really great. It's
5: just neat. One of the more wild things is I heard you on Damien's podcast, Turned Out a Punk. Yeah and learned all this stuff about you being so into punk and sort of maybe almost like this misconception that like, you know, you're perceived because of the show as this metal guy, but like, you know, punk and that's sort of more your thing and like Bad Religion all this stuff. And that's also the stuff I was so into. So that really blew my mind as well.
6: Yeah, when I was a kid, I mean, I saw Jay Bentley, the bass player of Bad Religion, probably about six months ago. And he was my friend when I lived at my mom's house. I mean, wow. when I grew up, as much as I am thought of as the heavy metal guy from Headbangers Ball and from owning the Cat House my roots really are in punk rock and there are a lot of bands that are in heavy metal that come from a punk rock background including Duff from Guns N Roses and stuff like that yep. but that's the stuff you know that I was really into and then I kind of went more towards, you know, metal and punk. I mean, I still, I love everything, you know, but I've always been thought of the heavy metal guy, but I said in a spin, which I never should have said this, spin magazine did a story about me. And I said in the article, Hey, when I was a kid, I listened to more black flag than black Sabbath and people were pissed. You really? know, because yeah. you're supposed to be the heavy metal guy always. And I was like, I listen to punk rock. I always loved, you know, the reason that I loved Motorhead so much and still do is because as a kid, that was punk rock to me
4: yeah
5: yeah totally and i think there's a misconception like i worked on a music video show on fuse for a long time called steven's untitled rock show and i'm still really good friends with steven the host and like he didn't pick the videos that were on the show like i think there's this misconception when people watch those shows like the host is picking every video
6: and the dj's on the radio stations usually aren't picking the music either but you know when i did headbangers ball I got a really hard time and still do (laughs) from people that were like, you know, how can you play this video when you're not playing this video? And I mean, it was ridiculous. As much as people wanted the really heavy, dark stuff, there were also the people that wanted the light, pretty boy stuff. And both of them were mad and they were all mad at me (laughs) thinking that I sit there going, what video am I going to play today when I never got to pick videos? Right.
5: I read, I know Tom who wrote Nothing But A Good Time, that old history that you were quoted in. And yeah, you kind of contrasted yourself with Adam Curry where like you were more on this kind of Guns and Roses side and then there was this whole like firehouse or like more kind of glammy side. Is that sort of how you were more into kind of the grittier stuff?
6: The big difference, I think, between me and anybody, including today, when you look at the people that are hosting the big hard rock shows, I think the difference between me is I never wanted to become a journalist or a TV personality or a radio person. I was just this punk from the streets in Hollywood that opened this rock club that ended up getting really, really big. And then I was put on TV. So the first couple of years I was on TV, I didn't know what I was doing. And I would read the cue cards and I'd read that. And then my first time ever on TV was bam, MTV you know? And so I was terrible. I was nervous. I didn't know how to do it. I acted like I was cool and I wasn't cool, you know? So if I was a, young kid watching me in the first year of Headbangers Ball, I wouldn't like me either. And then I got comfortable. And, you know, I know that the few things that I do now are much different than what I did in the past. You know, my attitude and being more comfortable. Yeah. You know,
5: Is it true that Axl Rose got you that Headbangers Ball gig?
6: Axl Rose, I think we were talking about the show Headbangers Ball. And I think it was honestly something like, you know, I'd like to host that show. And he's like, you want me to make some calls? I'm like, okay. (laughs) So him and his manager called Abby Conowich, who was like the big wig over at MTV at the time. He said, Hey, you know, Ricky Rackman, the guy that owns the cat house, he'd like to try hosting the headbangers ball. And so Axel said to me, he's like, Hey, you know, they'll do an audition. Do you want to go to New York? I'm like, yeah. He goes, okay, I'll go with you to New York. (gasps) So me and Axel get on a plane We fly to New York. Axel gets the hotel, does the whole thing. We went to the China Club the night before with like some of the big wigs at MTV. And this one, Axel's like huge. You know, this is 1989. So I'm walking in with Axel and then I go to my audition. I was terrible, terrible. So they started letting me guest host a little bit and then host more and more. And then I got the gig. So, you know, if people say, oh, well, it's who you know. Yes, it is. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) No problem saying that, but, you know, the fact that I can use the brand and it helped the cat house, which helped everything else. And I mean, right now I'm in two offices that all we do is sell cat house apparel and that's because Slash wore it when they played you know two weeks ago or wrestlers are wearing it and rock stars are still wearing i mean there's a picture of alice cooper wearing a cat house shirt that i'm pointing to right now which you guys listening can't see and alice cooper put in a song it ain't the way she crawls across the cat house floor i mean that club became iconic it was the best rock and roll club in the world and i did that by myself so all these things just started and grew and you know I found a way to milk it for as much as I, could, <laughs> as, long as I could.
4: That is incredible. And so obviously because of the cat house, that's how you knew those Guns N' Roses guys. And a lot of the. that's
6: how I knew everybody because everybody would be at the cat house because, you know, we'd be sitting there and I'm like, Hey guys, the club is closed. You have to get out. And those guys are like James Henfield and Glenn Danzig, you know? And I mean, Everybody hung out at the cat house. I mean, there's an infamous story. I did the cat house podcast, which did really well. And then I took it down for some reason. Cause again, it was me doing everything myself. Right. But the Cat House podcast, which I should put up again, there's a great story about Axl Rose chasing David Bowie down the street saying he's going to kill him because David Bowie was at the Cat House drunk trying to pick up on his girlfriend. And, you know, Robert Plant shows up at the Cat House. I mean, crazy things happen at that club. It was the most, yes, every band in the world played there, but it was this other stuff that happened at that club that made that club truly iconic. And that's why, you know, in the Pam and Tommy thing that they just did on Hulu, Tommy's always wearing a Cat House shirt in it. And that's where, if you read that, like the Nothing But A Good Time that Jonah referenced, you know, there's so many references to Cat House in that because I created the greatest rock and roll club in the world, you know? Ricky,
5: how do you like look back at that era? Because obviously like, it kind of seems like so unbelievable to someone who was like, Younger was like in Ohio, for example. I mean, and obviously a lot of people, you know, didn't make it, you know. Like, well, how do you kind of look back at that time? Like, do you feel like it could happen again? Do you feel like it was just like a once and no?
6: No, it won't happen again. People are too safe. People are too worried. And people were dangerous then. They were willing to take risks, they were willing to take chances. It was an incredible time to say, you know, I'll bet it was just like raunch and roll and sleaze and debauchery and all this crazy stuff. It was. It really, really was. But it wasn't necessarily what people would think. Like you could go in there and it didn't matter who you were. It didn't matter if you were a principal, a school teacher, a very successful businesswoman, anything. You could come into the cat house and just be sleazy for a night. And that didn't mean that people looked down on you. It was dress up. It was play. It was have fun in this decadent place. And then go back to normal life when you leave. Of course, we were in Hollywood. So a lot of us loved that lifestyle every day. Uh-huh. But there was a lot of people that were, I mean, Malcolm Forbes went to the cat house, you know? I mean, it had as much as an impact as Studio 54. I just don't have publicists to tell everybody that.
4: Right, 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 right. That's
5: <laughs> How is it different than like the other place I always hear mentioned in that era is like the Rainbow. Is that like a different vibe or how was that place different?
6: Rainbow is a restaurant. Restaurant, okay. And Rainbow was a place that a lot of people went to and they were going back. Back into the days of the Who and Harry Nilsson went to the Rainbow. Okay, and Rainbow was just a restaurant that people would go to, and you get all types of rockers and all types of tourists and all types of stuff. And and the Rainbow's still there today. It doesn't have the feeling that it did before. The Rainbow was great, but it didn't have that gritty danger mm-hmm. that we had. And I say that in a good way. You know, it was a gritty rock club that just you know like. Oh, here is Alice Cooper playing on Halloween in this club that fits 500 people.
4: Incredible.
5: Oh my god. I definitely learned about Alice Cooper through Headbangers Ball. That trash record with House of Fire and all that stuff on it and Poison. Yeah, you know, the
6: first words of that song trash is it ain't the way she crawls across the cat house floor and you have to understand. I mean, here's a real quick story. As a kid, I loved Alice Cooper. In school, I did my report on Alice Cooper. <laughs> and I remember my dad taking me to a rehearsal For the Welcome to My Nightmare Tour, I must have been probably 11 years old, and I was so excited. And then I got bad grades, so my dad didn't take me to the concert. And I was devastated because as a kid, when you're 12 and you're molding into who your idols and rock and roll are, you know, I'm going to get to see Alice Cooper. Probably was my first concert ever. And I got bad grades. So I didn't get to go. And obviously I never forgot about it. And then,
4: yeah, then
6: you move ahead to 1989. It's Halloween of all time. And Alice Cooper is playing at the cat house, singing the song. It ain't the way she crawls across the cat house floor. In my club, for me, I have a video of Alice Cooper saying, why isn't Netflix doing a show about the cat house? Netflix needs to do a show about the cat house. I had proposed to my wife in Paris, France, and Alice Cooper was playing in France. And I made sure that for two days, I wouldn't introduce Leah as my fiance. Until I saw Alice Cooper so I could say, hey, Alice, this is my fiance, Leah. Because I wanted to know that he was the first person that I ever introduced. Wow. I mean, so Alice Cooper was very, very important to me. So, you know, that was accomplished at the Cat House. And to me, that was such a like, wow. Like, like I never thought like, oh, yeah, Alice and Chains are playing. Oh, yeah, Pearl Jam is playing. Oh, yeah. But when Alice Cooper played the Cat House, I'm like, I did something here. I created something pretty cool. You know, it was really, really neat. Oh,
5: my gosh. We'll be back after this break with more from our cousin, Ricky Rackman. Hacks is
0: back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia and Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series.
5: And we're back. So yeah, Ricky, you mentioned Allison Chains before a break. I tweeted at you years ago about that Action Park episode. I don't know if you saw there was a documentary also later about Action Park. How do you kind of look back? Because to me, their music was so dark, but in that episode, they're so goofy. What was that like taping that? You know, you're shutting down the water park. There's all these kids. They didn't seem mad. They seem psyched. So what was that like? We
6: didn't shut down the water <laughs> park. We took the water park over. Yeah. And when you watch class action park, which is the movie A. It's a great movie. And if for people that don't know, it's a documentary about this place in New Jersey that was this water park that they used to call it, you know, Traction Park or all these because everybody get hurt. Some people got killed at this place. (laughs) And I remember being on a chairlift with Jerry Cantrell, looking at this water slide that had a loop in it and it was closed. And I was like, how do you have a loop in a water slide? Like, isn't that dangerous? Because people would go up Halfway and fall and break their nose. This water park was so dangerous and we just took it over. And the thing about, you know, people always say, well, what was the best episode of Headbanger's Ball? Was it this? Was it that? And without a doubt, everybody goes back to Allison Chains because Allison Chains got it. Because just like you said, Jonah, they were goofy, you know, Jerry wearing Speedos and Lane with a snorkel. And they did that with several shows. We did a show at a mansion. We did all these things. in New Orleans. I mean, anytime I did a show with Allison Chains, I didn't know what to expect. And they never took it seriously. And it was always goofy. And it was always the best episodes of Headbangers Ball. And You know, in the five years that I did that show, that water park show was the best because what it is, is you're putting these guys in control of this big amusement park to do whatever they want. And we did everything we just you know they showed up with a plastic fishing pole and and just flippers we just had so much fun running around this water park and Allison Chains always got it and like you said you know the music was dark and the music was between Lane and everybody in that band it was like you know when you look at a band like the Beatles or Guns N' Roses for that matter each band has these characters and each person is an individual rather than just a wall of sound and Allison Chain was like that because you know Sean was different than Mike Starr or Mike Inez, whoever played with them at the time. And Jerry was different than Lane, and Lane was Lane and Jerry were just hilarious. They were so much fun always. Every time we did a show, it was never serious. It was never dark. And you know, one thing that I pride myself on is the show that I did with Chris Cornell because everybody thought Chris Cornell was so serious. And me and Chris Cornell went bowling and we're running down the aisle, kicking down the pins. And Chris said to me, this was the best interview that I ever did because it wasn't an interview. We just went bowling and we just had so much fun. And, you know, I wish I could have done another show like that where it's just doing all these fun things with people because I didn't have a card of questions. I don't know who anybody's producer was because I don't even know what the producers do. I just wanted to find out what is it about you? Conversations like we're having right now, you know, just having fun. And, and the people that I was having fun with were the biggest rock bands in the world. And there just happened to be a camera there.
4: Yeah, that's incredible. And by the way, I just want to clarify for our listeners how we're related really quickly. Just before we... It's kind of confusing. It's kind of confusing, but it's not that confusing. So our great aunt's husband is our... Great Uncle Steve and our great uncle Steve's sister is Ricky's grandma, right?
6: Our great uncle's sister is Ricky's grandma?
4: Isn't your grandma and our great uncle brother and sister? I think that's how we're related. I think that's what it is. I don't
6: know. You know what I need? I need to get like a bunch of weed bigger. <laughs> All the action figures on the table and say, like, okay, so this right here is my aunt. And this right here. (laughs) Vanessa, you're (laughs) like, it's not confusing. It it is so confusing. Because
4: your first cousins are Nina and Eric, right? Okay. Yeah. And that's also our dad's first cousin.
6: Well, all I know is that I said it to my mom and she just mentioned, you know, Masha and she mentioned all the people. She's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I was like, but my mom didn't seem to know that we were all related either. Yeah.
4: It's kind of confusing. But I think our great aunt is also. Your great aunt, Masha.
6: The problem is, is I didn't have a real, I mean, I do now, but I didn't have an incredible family dynamic where I knew all my grandparents and I was kind of like a bad kid for a while and messed up on drugs. So a lot of time during a lot of my twenties, you know, it was all a blur and I wasn't there for family things or, you know, I mean, I hate to say how bad it is because I don't even remember when my grandparents passed away. You know, I don't even know where I was then. So
4: we didn't really know (laughs) any of this either yeah we
5: didn't know either so don't feel but yeah but i was just with our cousin nina and yeah and she had photos of your family and stuff so i was like okay this is like you send
4: me
6: a picture of my mom yeah she has... i gotta be honest i know this sounds weird but my mom looked beautiful in
5: that picture she looked like a hollywood starlet or something
6: i sent that picture to my mom i'm like mom chicks she's like how in the world did you get this <laughs> like a star like, like it was so funny it was
5: like a christmas card or something she had sent Masha. Like, I don't know when.
4: Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Anyway, so I guess I didn't do a great job of explaining how we're related. But I think <laughs> that our great uncle by marriage is your grandma's brother. I still don't
6: understand, though. But
5: I don't it's- think it's a blood relation. I think it's through marriage. Yeah. We did a podcast yesterday with the singer for Death Cab for Cutie. And for some reason, this topic came up. And I know you spoke about this recently. It was the November rain cake jump thing i don't know why that came up and you've said on the record that was not you right even though
6: you are in that video yes but i think i'm gonna start changing the story now's a good time to change it yeah i was not that guy i don't know why it's like there's a part in the video i'm gonna hold on a second (laughs) get into character this is my part in an (laughs) a video let me do this (laughs) okay that was it that's all i did (laughs) oh yeah again i'm on a podcast acting up well let me just tell you something for you people listening to this podcast jonah and vanessa saw it and they would think wow that was a really moving scene (laughs) absolutely my scene in the video was just me raising a glass not even raising glasses like goofy smile but for some reason everybody thinks that was me that went flying through the cake and it's probably a shame because there's probably a guy that wants to do like Comic-Con conventions signing autographs saying I'm the guy that flew through the cake. And everybody's like, nah, it's Ricky Rackman. It wasn't me, but everybody thought it was. But I was in that video and I was at that video, but I did not go through the cake.
4: Wow. Amazing. <laughs> wow.
6: Maybe I got more jobs if I put on my resume.
4: The guy who jumped. Well, I don't even think you have to put it on your resume. I think everyone just thinks that.
6: Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well. It hasn't gotten me. <laughs> jobs because of it.
5: Well, so today our topic was, we wanted to talk to you about first bands. And so obviously, you know, people know you a lot through hosting, through TV, but you know, you're also a musician. I mean, what was your first band? You're growing up in California. What was it?
6: Well, it was funny because recently I saw the show Metal Lords. Have you seen it yet? No, I haven't. I loved it. Okay. I really, really liked it. I'll check it out. And it's these kids that started this metal band. Well, the first band that I was ever in and, you know, even though I became a VJ and I'm still on the radio, you know, I wanted to be a rock star. I go see my friends' bands play and I still have dreams of being up there. So when I was in, I think, fifth grade, so fifth grade, you're what, like 11 or 12 years old, maybe?
4: Yeah, yeah. And
6: I remember starting a band with Tommy and I think Gus, and we lived in Van Nuys, California, and we started a band, and our band was called dynamite right and i think we even made a shirt with an iron-on transfer and we were going to play our talent show was the first show for dynamite (laughs) what i'm thinking of the songs we did was i know we practiced smoke on the water of course (laughs) because everybody did at that time but i don't think that's what we did live for some reason i think i might have sang an elvis song because even though i loved rock i always loved elvis And I'm pretty sure for some reason, I don't know why, we did Get Back by the Beatles. And I think I did Jailhouse Rock first and killed it. And it was really, really good. But I didn't really know the song Get Back by the Beatles. And I wasn't really a Beatles fan. So I might have had my back to the audience the whole time. And it was terrible. And that was the first and last show From Dynamite. Okay. Okay. And I think there's been a big void in the music world because Dynamite never played again. Then, when I was, I would say, about 17. And a lot of people don't know this, but I've mentioned this. I auditioned to sing for the punk rock band, the Angry Samoans. Wow. And I did this. And I don't know if anybody in the band even remembers it. I went to audition and it was in somebody's house, but I didn't get that gig either. And then the only bands that I've ever been in that were really like sort of something was I was in a band called Virgin, which actually played around the Sunset Strip. This was before I was on MTV. And we were actually playing around and, you know, we opened up for kicks. We did some convention where we sort of opened up for kiss. One time we opened up for White Zombie. And we were just like this 80s sunset strip band. And we did that for a while. And then I was in a band called Battery Club, which was like made up with all these guys from different punk rock bands. We had John Mauer that was in Social Distortion and Drummer of DI and a guy from the ads. And I didn't want anybody to know it was the guy from Headbangers Ball. So we would just play shows and we actually toured with Offspring for a little bit. And I kind of really liked that band. I really loved playing on stage. I wasn't very good, but I really liked it. I didn't have great stage presence, especially when, you know, you're watching your friends Axel, who's just owns stages when he plays. So the first band was really dynamite, but the first band with shows was a virgin. Wow. Okay.
5: Wow. Do you have any like wow. footage of that stuff or in recordings or anything?
6: Yes. There's footage of virgin playing on YouTube and Vince Neil got up on stage with us. Wow. Wow. This was at the whiskey and we did like a thin Lizzy song and public enemy number no. one from Motley Crue. And I did danced stupid i think i was trying to dance like axel and had like a black cowboy hat on and i just looked goofy and like my rap in between stuff was really really stupid i mean i would say that was like the first i always wanted to be in a band like i did the garage thing but never played shows until i was in virgin and let me tell you something i've done a lot of stuff in my life getting on stage singing and i'll still do it occasionally i get really nervous Really, really nervous, especially when it's a cover song, and I'm just learning the words. You know, like I think the last like the kind of big show I did was in Boston. It was like one of those like Comic Con horror conventions, and we put together this all star band, and we did a Agent Orange punk rock song, and then we did Mob Rules by Black Sabbath, and then I thought it would be the greatest idea to do nightclub by the specials okay okay which is a ska song we brought on the guy that played the sax in the movie lost boys remember that one song the song in the lost boys with the guy he came out and we're playing in front of like kind of a hardcore crowd And I'm doing this ska song that I thought would get people that people would think it was so cool. Wow, was I wrong? (laughs) (laughs) What the hell am I doing? I thought it'd be fun to just throw a ska song in there, you know? Sure. It didn't go over very well. well, man.
4: You know, something that's interesting that you said, Ricky, that is something that Jonah does. So Jonah's been in bands forever. And Jonah, you can kind of speak to that more. But Jonah... I think always when he plays guitar, faces away from the audience.
5: Not always. I like to look at the drummer. I get nervous also, too. I wouldn't say I always turn my back, but it's definitely a move in my arsenal. (laughs) But it's interesting because I feel like, to me, I can hide behind distortion. I can do that. I mean, to me, when I see Vanessa just get up there with a microphone and just tell jokes, that to me is way more kind of vulnerable.
6: Right now, I work in racing and sometimes I'll get in front of people and talk to 60,000 people, you know, or a thousand or whatever. And when you give me a mic and have me go up and talk to people, I'm good. I'm really good at that.
4: Yeah. But
6: a comedian to me, I think would be one of the hardest jobs because there might be things that you think are really, really funny and you can't wait to deliver it. And maybe you'll do it in front of, you know, a family member and they'll think it's funny too. I can't wait to say this. I can't wait to say this. And it would bomb I'd be devastated. I think a comedian would be really, really tough because if I go up on stage, you know, I've introduced bands in front of 70,000 people, you know, and if I go on stage and I'm like talking and, I'm, and I say something funny, it's a bonus, you know, like, oh my God, Ricky said something funny. But if I'm going up there and I'm here to make you laugh and you don't, yeah, I suck. You know, in my podcasts that I got to start doing again, I would tell stories from the cat house. And I really like what Henry Rollins does, and I think about how much fun that would be to do spoken word. Like that's something that I would really like to do. But when you're singing or doing comedy, that's tough for me because if I'm just I'm seeing something, I just stand there. You know, I don't have to worry about how. But singing, you know there's certain people that can just stand there with a microphone. you know, Lemmy would just have a microphone and just stand there and, and Lemmy just look cool. And there's singers that'll stand there and just look cool. But for some reason, when I just stand, there, I don't look cool. I don't do (laughs) it. It's just tough. And especially when you're just starting off and like, you know, we're talking about first bands. You know, I was looking at all my friends were starting bands and getting huge and they had swagger and I didn't. I would try to pull off what they did, which was also unnatural.
4: Right, 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 right.
5: See, I think the difference was my first bands, like, <laughs> you know, we would do a lot of Misfits covers. You know, we played a talent show. We got kicked out of the talent show. Our singers tried to start a mosh pit. <laughs> he like spit in the eye. <laughs> right, like, this is when we were like 15. But none of our friends' bands were like getting popular. Like no one knew who any of these bands were. And that's so fascinating to me is like your peers were actually like, big bands whereas like we were just kind of in the suburbs like none of our bands were actually like getting record deals or something
6: as a kid in the bands that i started you know i had visions of being a rock star but i'm also 12 years old you know so when i actually started playing in like a real band like virgin you know every one of my peers not only got record deals. You know, my roommate starts a band called Bastard Pussycat. And then he has a song called House of Pain and their records gold and they're out playing huge shows. And then my friends are getting a record deal in their band Guns and Roses. And then everybody from LA Guns, Jane's Addiction to everybody around me is getting record deals. It's like I want to do that too. And I didn't, you know, it was interesting because, you know, here I am in this epicenter with everybody getting record deals. And I wanted to be a rock star. I just kind of went in a different direction and ended up talking about the other rock stars, you know? And that's sort of how I made a living.
4: Yeah. What's interesting, though, is for me as someone who, you know, isn't as into like the rock or punk music scene as you guys are. And I certainly know Axel and Slash and Duff, you know, like I know the members of a lot of bands, but everybody knows who you are. No, seriously. Like when I told people that you're our cousin, (laughs) they're like so excited. In your own way, you were like, I'm using the rock star term as more of like how people use it. Colloquially, I'm sorry, I couldn't pronounce that word correctly, but like, (laughs) you are such a rock star to so many people because they know Ricky Rackman. You know what I mean? Like, you're your own thing, which I think is really incredible. I'm telling you, people, including us, (laughs) we're so excited.
6: But you know what it is? Like, the way it was, especially back then. Cause people knew that like my friends were rock stars. So it's like, you know, people would go up to Tim. It's like, you're Timmy from Faster pussycat. Right. And it's like, yeah. It's like, Hey, you're Nikki six from Motley crew. Hey, you're Axel. Hey, you're Ricky Rackman. Where's Nikki six from Motley crew. <laughs> hey, you know, like if no other rock stars were around, it was almost like that. It was like, I was the, well, I don't know. <laughs> It's kind of funny.
5: I'm curious, like, you know, like I came up in the music industry. I've been a journalist for a long time, but I kind of came in like the end of the industry where like there wasn't a lot of money and people weren't really selling records. I remember reading about these like Guns N' Roses aftershows or they would like rent out all this stuff. I mean, what was that like? Do you have any of those kind of like events that were so expensive that stick out to you now that would like never kind of happen, you know, in
6: today's? People were doing record release parties. I mean, labels were spending money on videos. Right. But one of the one that was the most Fun to me would have been, if you guys remember the band Cinderella, mm-hmm. of which had a bunch of hits in the 80s, and I thought they were a great band. So they had an album, I believe was called Long Cold Winter, and they did a record release party. I don't remember that album or not, but they did a record release party in New Orleans. And they rendered a riverboat, one of those big paddle riverboats, and had a party going down the river in New Orleans and with just all, you know, Cajun food and all this stuff. And I'm like, this rule.
4: That's crazy.
6: Green's right. There's a record release party in an airport in Washington. We fly in to do that. And, you know, all these crazy things. I know there's a lot of them. My, my memory isn't so great. But the Cinderella one was really, really great because now, you know, they don't even have money for videos. They Bands got to pay for that themselves. Yeah. But bands were getting record deals. And, you know, all these Hollywood punks were going out and buying really nice cars and buying all these really nice things. Yeah. You know, so right when everything started taking off, this was actually before Headbangers Ball, when the Cat House and I opened up another club called Bordello started doing, you know, really well, you know, I was like, oh, my gosh, I could go buy a car like a brand new car. So here I am being this guy with, I had a moped and going to buy a brand new car and it's a custom convertible Corvette. You know, it's my first brand new car. It's like pretty amazing because there was just money going around. Everybody had money then and people were spending money. Yeah, It was funny when you take all these people that are these decadent Hollywood street gypsies. And now a lot of them have money. It's pretty insane.
4: Yeah. Can I ask you this too, just now that we're like, you know, obviously geeking out on you. My like favorite band when I was little was Vixen. Did you know them at all? I
6: did shows with them. Yeah. They were very nice.
4: Got it. Okay. can see that there's...
6: As far as like, like there's bands that I don't like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Edge of a Broken Heart is a good song.
4: Yeah, it's my favorite song as a kid. I mean... And
6: the girls are nice and the girls are all talented. Do I own a Vixen t-shirt? No. Got it. If Vixen was playing down the street, don't know if I'd go. <laughs> okay. Okay. Not a band that I hate because... They were doing something fun what about heart heart which was not in my wheelhouse right. <laughs> but i'm a huge cheap trick fan and Hart did a tour with cheap trick probably about four years ago so i went and i had great seats because i know the people in cheap trick and i watched Hart, they killed it
4: really yeah they
6: were so good and gilby clark who is one of my best friends who also played in Guns N' Roses for a while, also played in Heart for a while. Wow, Gilby's played in some pretty incredible games, but Gilby played in Heart. But I don't know the sisters in Heart, but I have seen them play live. And I thought that they were like, like if somebody said random, like, hey, have you ever seen Heart? I would be like, yeah, they were really good.
4: Yeah, yeah. They were
6: really, really good. I mean, I like going to shows and there's nothing more than I like than going to see a show that I would be a little bit surprised about. And I was like, wow, this band was really,
4: really, really cool. good. Yeah. And
6: also, you know, when you see a band like Heart, it's like, wow, I know every single song.
4: Song, yeah. yeah. Yeah,
6: yeah.
5: Last one, Junkyard. What are your thoughts?
6: Junkyard is a band that when my band Battery Club started, Pat Mazinga, who was the drummer of Junkyard and also played in punk rock bands like Decry and stuff like that. Pat Mazinga was the drummer of my band Battery Club when I first started. Junkyard is a band That never made it to big status, but they were a band that I feel never sound dated because they're just a good street rock and roll band. And while some people would think of Junkyard as like, you know, one of those 80s hair bands, they weren't. I always looked at Junkyard the same way I would look at a band like the Super Suckers. They just play great rock and roll And, you know, they're still playing and some people go see him play. But I really like Junkyard. I think Junkyard, I mean, Junkyard had Brian Baker in the band. I know, Brian Baker. When I went to go see Bad Religion play, probably about two years ago, Brian Baker wore a cat house shirt on stage. And I didn't even know that Brian Baker had a cat house shirt. Brian has tons of stories from the cat house too, because he would go there and hang out and hang out with the cashiers. And, you know, Brian tells a great story about, going to the cat house early and watching this band set up on stage. And they had this big Hammond organ. And he's like, who is this band playing the cat house with this organ? And he's sitting here watching and he's like, Oh yeah. Oh, I think we're going to go out on tour with this band. Yeah. They're pretty good. I-, I thought they were a death metal band. It was the black crows and the black crows played the cat house and they went to go see him cause they were opening up for him. And they thought black crows was a death metal band. <laughs> and they were like, we're going out with this band. This band is opening up for us. <laughs> You know, and it was the Black Crows.
5: That is amazing. Well, we'll be back after this break with more from Ricky Rackman.
0: Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia and Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series.
7: at purdueglobal.edu hacks is
0: back for season three and so is the official hacks podcast in each episode hacks creators lucia and paul w downs and jen stadsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the emmy-winning comedy series
7: at purdueglobal.edu.
4: Okay, and we're back. So, Ricky, now we'd like to play a game with you that we like to call Back to the Present.
7: Joan and Vanessa, we've got to go back to the
4: present! And the name is obviously a hilarious take on the Back to the Future film franchise. It's basically this segment where we talk about things from it's our it top- a
6: hilarious take on the title? It's a hilarious <laughs> I think it's good. But I wouldn't go <laughs> as far as to say is. I mean, since we're related, I can just say. Yeah, you honestly. can
4: kind of razz me. I'm your little cousin. I don't
6: think it's hilarious.
4: My cousin Ricky is always giving me a hard time with my comedy, but that's how we get better. When
6: your new show comes out on Showtime, yeah, I get to watch my cousin in her new show.
4: Oh my God. Very, very excited. Very excited. I hope you like it. I'm nervous for you to see it. I hope you like it. Well, I'm going
6: to get Showtime to watch it, so.
4: That's so nice. And I like that you're saying this on here in case any of them are listening. They love subscribers.
6: Let's go back to the hilarious Okay, game. so the hilarious
4: <laughs> Back to the Future film franchise is where we got this name. So basically, we're each going to say something from our childhood that we wish would come back. And so to give you a little bit of time to think about it, we'll go first and then we'll ask you yours last. And there's truly no, basically like any kind of snacks, shows.
5: The rules are pretty loose. Anything from the past.
4: Couldn't be looser. Could be a concept. (laughs) Could be as abstract or not as you want. I'll go first to kind of just start things off. And these haven't completely gone away, but something that I kind of miss is old school answering machines because, I mean, they still technically make them, but, you know, I don't have one in my house. They're not like as big of a deal. And I just remember coming home from school and stuff and listening to what was on the answering machine. And there's like a real collective feeling to just, I guess, like, you know, coming home, being with your family and everybody has to listen to everyone's messages. And sometimes you get a message that was really funny. Like I remember the... (laughs) I won't name any names, but the woman who sold our parents' house had a really strong Cleveland accent. And she left this big message on our answering machine.
5: Can you do an impression of it?
4: I don't know how to say that many words with a really strong Cleveland accent, even though I think it's just how I talk. But, you know, a Cleveland accent is saying like, I got this bleak beag. I don't know how to do it. It's not going to sound like Cleveland if I do it. But she talked about she's like, yeah, we've got some really good offers. And like, it was just really, really funny. And we just would like replay it and replay it and just laugh. And have a great time. And so I think there's like a collective experience to an answering machine, whereas like the voicemail on your phone, it's like kind of just you listening feels like a more solitary experience. So I just feel like also the other thing that was really funny about answering machines was people would get cut off all the time. So you would hear people leave messages and then they'd get cut off and then sometimes they'd call back and just like a lot of hilarious stuff would come out of them. So that's kind of something that I wish was sort of more of a thing again.
6: May I interject? Please. Please. One thing which you think it would be reversed is people spent a lot of time working on the message that you would leave. Right. You know, I'm a kid and I would say, Hey, I want to do it like Rod Serling of the tw-. picture, if you will, leaving message at the time. Tw- and you'd be working on, oh, I'll do it over. Working right. so hard on doing it. And, you know, everybody's trying to come up with a best sort. or people would just go, you know, which I hate it when people go, hello. Oh yeah. You know? And I'm like, yeah. And I fall for it every damn time. And now if you call my cell phone, It's the generic one that it's like. Please leave your mat. It's like nobody does that anymore. And you think it would be reversed. You think like oh, when we started with phone messages, we all had to use the generic phone message. Yeah. But now we can make our own. Well, now we're so damn lazy that we put no time and effort into doing it. You know, I mean, yeah, I make my own personal message. What does it say? Leave it, you know? <laughs> yeah, so, like, yeah, Most people don't even know what message is on their phone. Yeah, yeah. Or outgoing message.
4: It's just the automatic, please leave a message. Yeah, totally. And you know
5: who it's going to be so there's no anticipation of like, oh, it beeps. I have no idea this could be anyone. You see the caller ID, you know who it is. Yeah. yeah,
6: exactly.
4: You're right. I remember like our parents would sometimes let us like play music and be like, you've called the Bayer's house. We're not home right now, but please. Live. <laughs> like, like, I remember like that was so fun. You're right. Ricky. You, you like put so much effort into it. You like re-recorded a bunch of times until you got it perfect. And like, yeah, there was like a whole thing with that. Whereas now people don't even do that. That's true. I'm
6: it's- friends with the comedian Craig Gass who does great imitations of obviously Gene Simmons and all these people. And why I don't ever say, Craig, leave this voice message for me. Yeah. Have him do my voice. Gene like, Simmons will kill some legal message for her. You know, why I don't ask him to do that. I don't know. Because you just don't care anymore. And it was like, yeah. with all the people that I've met, why didn't I ever ask anybody to leave a phone message for me?
4: Yeah. You still can. Yeah. I think I will. Yeah. <laughs>
5: Has anyone asked you to leave a phone message for them?
6: No, no, really, because they think that somebody'd call them and they hear my voice and they just hang up. Oh, right.
4: <laughs> Ricky. Hey, don't talk that way about our cousin.
6: Well,
5: that's a great topic. I was actually going to do Caribou Coffee, but uh, <laughs> Ricky's making
6: a face. Do you, they don't even have it anymore?
5: They have it, but I feel like it's not how it used to be.
4: I feel like
6: it They're used to really... a
4: bunch of
5: looking. Locat- oh, God. Yeah.
6: That, you know, talking about things that we don't have anymore, and you're talking about Caribou Coffee? <laughs> well, hold on, that, hold I on. They got rid of it a month ago? Hold on, hold on. Let me tell you something. There didn't used to be places where you would go to just buy coffee. You used to drink the same crap everywhere.
5: <laughs> I know. I know. So listen, I was going to do care for coffee, but, but then I was thinking about our conversation. It made me really miss music videos. And I know it, you know, financially it doesn't make sense, but you were talking about Cinderella. I was thinking about that. Don't know what you got till it's gone video with like all those shots of them in the desert and like how all these videos are like just imprinted in my brain. And to me, I think it would be so amazing to bring that back, even though I know there's not really a place to play them, I guess, other than the internet.
6: There are bands that are still doing videos. But the thing about videos is, you know, we all love to talk smack about MTV, but I'll say some nice things about MTV that when there was MTV, you would put it on during the day and it didn't matter if you want metal, you'd put it on during the day because you don't know what songs are going to play.
4: Right. You just loved
6: watching videos. It was your fish aquarium in the house. MTV was always on. Right. For that reason, like I'll be honest, I don't know what any of the big pop songs are these days, you know, but I did back then because I had MTV on all the time. So I might not, you know, know who I know that this is a Paula Abdul song or this is a what because I've seen them on during the day and in music videos were always around. Yeah. You know, we just. It was always great.
5: What was the odds like 1989 you're sitting back drinking a caribou coffee latte watching (laughs) like the Welcome to the Jungle video?
6: I don't think they had caribou coffee. (laughs) I think they're probably drinking like Taster's Choice or something (laughs) like this freeze-dried coffee and stuff like that
4: there's a station that i watch a lot of times when i'm on airplanes i don't know what the official name for it is but it's called like mtv vintage or something that's not what it's called but they just play old videos and it's like that it's like they just play like all different kinds of music and it is like it reminds you of like that was so great when you could just like have the tv on and just like and then like remember when videos would like premiere sometimes at night and like you'd wait up to see like the new video premiere it was like such a big deal oh yeah and now i wish they still did that i feel like they sort of talk about going back to videos every so often but now it's just like all tv shows
6: it's terrible like i remember watching on roku there's this weird channel that sometimes has like retro 80 videos and you're like wow, did every band have a saxophone player in it? Yeah. Like every new wave band had like somebody with a saxophone. And I just love goofy new wave videos. I love new wave. I mean, I'm the first one to, to say that's somebody that nobody ever gives props. Nobody ever says like, man... I need to hear some Haircut 100 or ABC or, you know, nobody says New Wave.
5: You know, there's something else I want to bring back to, and this is kind of related, is album release, like Midnight. When you were talking about this, I remember I went with my friend Chad to see Pantera did the Far Beyond Driven. They did something at our local store and like guys were smashing bottles in the sidewalk in the suburbs and like Pantera was signing records. And I remember obviously when like Metallica's Black Album came out, everyone bought it at Midnight. That's not a thing that happens anymore, is it?
6: Not only is that not a thing, but it wasn't that long ago that they used to do the same thing for video games. really. And I remember when Best Buy did one for Call of Duty and they had like tanks in front of the store, you know, and now gaming stores aren't even around anymore, you know? So we've all just become so lazy that anything we want, we can get from ourselves, you know? I mean, one of the things that I miss, even though it's not what I'm going to pick, but even though I can't say that I was a mall rat, but I know that when I was traveling and if I was out of town, the first thing I do is just go walk around a mall yeah, just to see same crap and just see what people are like in these States. And it's sad that people don't do that anymore. I mean, the easy thing to say was I really miss record stores, but I'll go a step further to say I miss licorice pizza because licorice pizza was the chain that we had in Southern California and you'd walk in there and they'd have all the records you could just go through, but they always had a big jar of licorice and I love same, licorice.
4: Same, Black licorice. Okay.
6: Now, most people.
4: There's don't, not like, a lot of us. That's a family thing. <laughs> I think it's a family thing. Jonah, do you like
6: black licorice?
5: I think so. It's not something I eat regularly, but I'm. I you don't. were adopted.
6: <laughs> <laughs> but I love black
4: licorice. I do too. I love it.
6: Go to record stores, and licorice pizza would always have free licorice. And when you're just a little kid, you're walking in there. Oh, yeah. Here's. Okay. I got a couple little things I'm going to put in there. One from a long, long time ago, before your time. One of my first jobs I had, I worked at a skateboard park and I remember that we used to sell Aspen soda. Do you remember Aspen? Aspen was an apple flavored soda that was delicious. And the other thing I forgot what it was. My memory, I I wish I had my memory back. No, there was something else I was going to say. Aspen soda was something that, that, that we used to have that we don't have anymore.
4: So you worked at a skate park too. I mean, truly. That was my
6: first job.
5: Were there guys from like thrash bands coming yeah. through there? I feel like everywhere you worked. Oh my some- God.
6: I worked at the Marina Del Rey Skate Park, which was in Dogtown. Oh my God. So we would have all of the greatest bands play. A matter of fact, the Freedom of Choice video from Devo was shot there. And Dwayne Peters was in that video and Jay Smith. So so I grew up around all the young, like I thought, I'm going to skateboard forever. That's my thing is music and skateboarding. And the skateboarding was something that was, uh, oh, I know what I have. Okay, here's something that I know nobody will ever say in your show. And <laughs> you're really going to be surprised of something that I miss. I am excited to say this one. I really miss when tattoos meant you were bad. Yeah <laughs> I miss it when tattoos were not things that everybody had. I miss it when kids would look at people that were all tattooed because I was the first person on
4: TV personality. yeah.
6: Well tattooed. I wasn't the first person, I mean, the guys in all the crew had sleeves, you know, right before I got them. And for me, to get this neck tattoo, you know, two months ago, and not rubbing, mean, you know, I work on like I'm on Fox Sports talking about racing and it doesn't like I didn't even have to clear it. It is so accessible that now every commercial with school teachers or doctors, they all have tattoos. And you know what? You would think that I like that? I don't like it. My wife is one of the most respected tattoo artists there is. She was on the TV show Ink Masters. Wow. Leah Vendetta is just like one of the biggest tattoo artists around. One of the best. And while she loves it because she's booked months in advance, she also feels the same way I do because she was tattooed in the 90s. I was tattooed in the 80s and I liked it when getting tattoos on your hand was like, or even on your forearm was like crazy. It was like, oh, yeah, you're never, I mean, you talked about being related to me and the first thing they said was tattoos. Yeah. And back then it was like, Tattoos was bad. You know, I was always told to you, you know, Ricky, you're not going to be able to be buried in the Jewish cemetery. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which isn't true.
4: Yeah, we've talked about this.
6: And if that was true, how great would it be to be not allowed in some place? After I'm already dead, you know, (laughs) like I spent my life not being allowed to go to certain places. I'm dead, and I'm still a hassle getting kicked out of places. How brilliant would that be? It's not true, by the way.
4: I know it worked on us. It didn't work
6: (laughs) exactly, like you know when my mom is saying, you know, don't get tattoos. You won't be able to get buried in a Jewish cemetery. That was like. Oh, okay. Then I'm not going to get tattooed, mom. It's like, the more you tell me how bad these things are, the more that I wanted to get them. And they're not bad anymore. They're so, I'm doing stuff with Fox Sports. And even though it is a checkered flag and I'm talking about racing, I mean, I'm in my fifties and I got a Mohawk this year. Okay. It's like, there's nothing that's dangerous. And sometimes I forget like, oh yeah, like I got a Mohawk. Like most people at my age don't get Mohawks. But the fact is, like, nobody says anything. Nothing is shocking anymore. I'm covered in tattoos. I have a mohawk. And now people probably think, like, oh, he's like the guy in Taxi Driver. Jane's Addiction had an album said nothing is shocking. And it's true. Yeah. You know, that's what I miss. I miss tattoos being bad. I miss if somebody had crazy hair. I don't want this stuff to be accessible anymore. I don't want it to be okay that everybody is tattooed. I want it to be outlaw and it's not, nothing is outlawed. Now there's kids that are getting their first tattoo is a scribble on their face. You know, it's just like,
4: yeah, yeah. That's a really good one. And that's really true. I don't really think about that, but there used to be something so rebellious about it. And now it feels like, It's almost rare if you don't have one.
6: And the crazy thing is that what's also become trendy now is, yes, there's some beautiful artists out there, but a lot of people are getting like really crappy tattoos because that's the trend to get crappy tattoos. So now all of a sudden, some of these crappy tattoos I have are actually hip. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, when I got my first tattoo, there weren't tattoo artists You picked what was on the wall.
4: Right, 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 right. Well,
5: I'm really regretting this caribou coffee pick. I feel like... (laughs)
4: Really? Well, you moved past it. You moved past it. Look, I did answering issues. I don't think that's much cooler.
6: And feel good that you're probably the only person that ever missed caribou coffee. I wouldn't say I'm a coffee connoisseur. I would say I'm a bit of a coffee snob. Okay. I really like good, good coffee.
5: I follow you online. You've been drinking a lot of, like, all these musicians now
6: have coffee blends, right? I did some tests of all the rock star coffees because right, right now, what happens is when you get a record deal, you need to have your own coffee brand. I don't know if that's written in paper anywhere, but they've all got their own coffees. And I was going to make my own coffee on a very small batch called Cat House Coffee. I never said that to anybody, but I'm still going to do it. It was like Alice Cooper, D. Snyder. Disturbed Kiss Of course I mean every band So I just Skid row So I just Started tasting Everybody's coffee And making little videos About it I think a lot of times Bands just license Their name out For coffees Which is a shame Because I'm actually Working with a roaster Making a Cat house coffee But I'm going to do a small batch just because there's a certain type of blends. I mean, I went to Costa Rica to go visit coffee plantations.
4: Yeah. Wow. Just
6: because I love coffee. You know, I really, really love coffee. I have to drink coffee all the time. I mean, I'm in my office and even though I don't like K-Cups, there's a K-Cup machine like right here. So I drink a lot of coffee and I try different bands, but I don't remember ever waking up in the morning saying, man, I really wish I could have some caribou coffee right now. Okay. <laughs> you're
4: getting burned pretty hard <laughs> by your cousin, Jonah. Can <laughs> I plug something? Yes, yes please. We were going to ask you where people can find you and all that kind of stuff, but please plug away.
6: Well, the thing that I want to promote, I'm obviously on all the social medias under my name, Ricky Rackman. I have a radio show called racing rocks. I also work for Fox sports doing American flat track. And I have an apparel line CatHouseHollywood.com. Bla, 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 bla. Here's the thing I want to plug every so often. Me and now my wife, Leah Vendetta, go on a motorcycle ride and raise money for charity. And I don't have a publicist. I don't have a manager. I don't have a set route. We let people on social media tell us where to go. Yeah. A lot of people don't know about this, but you know, one year we got on our motorcycle and we rode 14,000 miles and gave Stop Soldier Suicide a check for $32,000. And then the next time we rode, And we gave a check for the Alzheimer's association for $22,000. And every year I just go find a charity, all the expenses for the ride. I pay for myself. So we always looking for sponsors, but we just go ride and we're about to go riding again. And this time we're raising money for the victory junction camp, which is a camp that helps kids with serious illnesses be kids for a week. And the camp doesn't charge the kids, doesn't charge the parents. So we find a charity that when someone donates 20, the 20 goes to the charity, you know, it doesn't go to expenses or right. And we've only ridden 700 miles so far, and we've already raised $16,000. Wow. I mean, and we're doing some crazy stuff. Like in two weeks, we're going to go to, and I just picked places that I randomly want to go. We're going to go to a donkey sanctuary because I like donkeys. And then we're going to go see Testament Exodus and Death Angel in Raleigh, North Carolina. Then we're going to ride up to Dover, Delaware and work the NASCAR race and then ride back. And then we're going to go from North Carolina to Maine to have lobster in Maine and then come back and have Boston cream pie in Boston and just do all these crazy things. And our goal is to ride 10,000 miles this summer. Sometimes we camp. People suggest like, hey, this hotel is good. Sometimes, and we just do random stuff. And you can follow us on social media. There's a website that I built called theride22.com that all it does is have links. I mean, I'm working on that. But it's theride22.com. And if you want to donate, you can donate. If you want to follow us on social media and say, hey, I see that you guys are going to be in Nebraska. You need to try a Runza, which we did, which was terrible. But, you know, like in Cleveland... Um, there's a place called have you ever been to Melt Grilled Cheese? Yes. Absolutely. Oh my God. That place just like we always go to Melt Grilled Cheese. <laughs> they made a s'mores grilled cheese that was like ridiculously we good. We were
4: just talking
5: we about that. We were just Melt talking Melt the about the Live. They have a one called the Parmagan that has pierogies on it.
6: Oh my God. Well, if you go there, you gotta say how to, Matt owns a place and he always supports our rides and we always go there. And like we've been to Melt Grilled Cheese, I think in a place called Independence, Ohio, maybe. Yeah. Yep. We went to Melt Grilled Cheese and we're like, hey, if any of you people want to go there, meet us at Milk Grilled Cheese. And there were like 60 people there. And we all sat down at a big table. I mean, you know, the thing is when people meet us on the ride, it's not like there's like handlers or somebody setting up stuff, but just me and Leah. And like Leah's got half a million followers on Facebook. So she's got her fans and I've got my fans or friends or whatever. I don't like to say the word fans, but we just go riding. And sometimes we'll see somebody on a gas station. We'll just sit down and have coffee It won't be caribou coffee, but it'll be whatever (laughs) coffee we can find at the gas station. And we just go and ride motorcycles all over America, raise money for charity and have fun. And I don't really know how to promote the rides better, but it's it's just something that I love doing. I mean, to me, there is nothing better. And we're going to ride far. I mean, you know, one year in 2017, by myself, I got on a motorcycle and I said, I'm going to ride through all 48 states.
4: Wow. Wow. And I did.
6: And I raised $20,000 for this girl that had cystic fibrosis. Wow. And she had a foundation. So I raised money. So it's really cool. And of all the things I do, you know, people are like, why do you do all this stuff that costs you so much to raise money for charities? And I'm like, it's because I'm selfish. And when I give them these checks, it just makes me feel really good. Like it's something very cool about giving. A foundation, like a pretty good check.
4: Yeah, that's incredible. And
6: I get to ride a motorcycle all over everywhere. I mean, it's really, really fun. And like I said, like we go and we say, okay, where's the best lobster in Maine? And we don't know. We don't call these places. And our hotel flooded the last week when we were out. We just go see shows or go to famous places. And it might be where Hank Williams was born. And it might be where they invented or where the best biscuit is or whatever. A lot of eating. A lot of eating. A
4: lot of eating. That's incredible. Uh, that's
6: something that's really and just if people want to find it. It's the ride22.com.
4: The ride22.com. And what's the social media handle for it? Just go to your Well, there's a
6: ride twenty-two Facebook page, but you can either follow me, Ricky Rackman, R-I-K-I-R-A-C-H-T-M-A-N on all social media. Okay. Follow me there and just and I just say tell us where to go.
4: Yeah great
6: it's really really cool we should come up and visit you guys I don't know if we're gonna be yeah you got it but definitely Jonah I might ride to LA I mean I'm, I know I'm gonna ride to Sturgis yeah so maybe I will come to I mean I should come to LA anyway I just I miss it I haven't yeah. been there for a little bit even though every time I go there it gets worse it does right no
4: Vanessa I moved here only three years ago so I don't know to me it's all been... so the. been bad yeah well <laughs> yeah
5: if you come to Northeast definitely it would be amazing for us all to hang out at some point yeah in person.
4: and you could see your cousin Nina too
6: I can and I'll bring figures so we can figure out how we're
5: all related.
4: Yeah, we'll bring a family tree.
5: Some kind of pen and paper or something we can write it down but yeah ricky thank you so much this has been so- oh this was so this fun was so fun. fun oh my gosh thank
4: you to everyone for listening if you enjoyed this please subscribe to the podcast and keep an eye out for next week's episode of how did we get weird where we will discuss more stories from our childhood and cultural milestones like our first bands and more family stuff maybe you know we gotta have ricky back from our family stuff
6: how to get weird family reunion special yes, yes that is what absolutely. we should call it
4: absolutely <laughs> <laughs>
7: right rug flooring
2: awards watch says liam neeson is at his best don't miss in the land of saints and sinners having left his dark past behind retired hitman finbar murphy played by neeson leads a quiet life in a remote coastal Irish town. But when a menacing crew of terrorists arrive, Finbar is drawn into a vicious game of cat and mouse, forcing him to choose between exposing his secret identity or defending his friends and neighbors. In the land of saints and sinners, from Samuel Goldwyn Films and Sony Pictures Home Entertainment, watch it now on digital rated R.
4: Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no sign-ups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at
7: play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.